Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. It's a mailbag episode. I put out a request for listener questions uh, about the Ducks earlier this week, and you guys definitely delivered. We've got a lot of depth chart talk, some Big Ten talk, and a whole lot more. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. We are getting closer and closer to the start of football. Uh, there are a handful of week zero games that will take place later this weekend, some of which are going to be worth watching. Um, but next week, we get fully into game week for the Ducks and you know the rest of the nation, as Oregon in particular looks forward to a game against Portland State. Um, I know that is a much different game than we were facing uh, week one last year when we were going down to Atlanta to play the defending national champion and eventual two-time national champion Georgia Bulldogs. Um, so it's a little bit different this year around, especially when you don't have a brand new uh, head coach at the helm as well. Uh, Oregon's fall camp ended on Wednesday afternoon, so media members have the next few days off, which is very nice um, until we talk to Dan on Monday night and uh, we kind of officially kick off the regular season and get into that game week. So that makes this a pretty good time in my mind, at least to do a mailbag episode and, wrap up the preseason, wrap up fall camp by answering some of your questions. So we've got a lot to get to. Um, let's go ahead and get started. This one comes from Jordan. Uh, he asks, how will the additional travel in the Big Ten impact Oregon's ability to prepare for games in the future? Um, I think that's a really good question because it's, you know, we've talked about travel before and we've talked about the burden that that's going to put on the team. You know, a lot of a lot of what we've talked about is, non-football sports the non-revenue sports and how difficult that will be for them you know traveling um you know their travel schedules can be so different than than football because football you travel once a week you got one game a week uh basketball it's different you know baseball it's different volleyball softball it's all different for them um but for this question specifically we're going to talk about football you know it's it's going to cut down on the available time in eugene for these players and coaches because of the travel and you know you're potentially gonna de- you're gonna have to deal with potential jet lag and longer flight times. But um, Oregon and most football teams they're lucky because they fly charter. Uh, you know you've got the amenities on these flights to be comfortable, the ability to watch film, the, the ability to study up on planes, get you know icing, rehab, whatever you can do. You know if necessary, um, those aren't going to be completely wasted hours. I know obviously you'd rather spend those hours after a game rehabbing, getting ice, watching film, sleeping, resting, all of those sort of things. You might not be able to do that as well on a plane as you could at home if you were to play in Eugene or, you know, on these short flights. But, um, you know, it's it's not a complete waste. They're still going to be able to do a little bit. On top of that, realistically, Oregon's only going to have a couple of these long trips per year um, in the Big Ten. You know, you've got three non-conference games per year, and those are likely going to be against close opponents. You know, 
probably got one against Oregon State. I would assume that the other one's Oregon schedules either at Autzen for home games or in the region, so they're not going to be long trips. And then on top of those three non-conference games, you assume that three of the conference games in the Big Ten are going to be against Washington, USC, and UCLA. So those are all not long trips. Those are quick hour, two-hour max flights um, at the very most. I mean, Washington's way closer than that. So I don't think that's that's going to be too much of a problem for those. That leaves five games on the schedule, and not all of those are going to be away games. You know, you assume that two or three of those per year are going to be at home, two or three are going to be away. So at most, I think you have two to three long travel games uh, per year. And, you know, I, I think it, when you look at it that way, it's not going to have too much of an impact. Like I said, that flight time is going to be a little bit difficult, but these teams will be able to adapt and figure out the best way to to make use of that time on the plane and make sure that this, the athletes are healthy and, and that they're still able to be students as well. I think a lot of, um, hopefully a lot of schoolwork is being done on those flights too, um, and a lot of film study and, and resting up. So in the end, I don't think it's going to have a massive impact. All right, this question comes from Brian. If Bo Nix goes down for an extended period of time, is Ty Thompson the backup for multiple games? Or rather, is Thompson the short-term backup and they would move Austin Novosad into the starter role for more than a week? Um, I think that it's Thompson all the way, in my opinion. You know, there's a reason that Ty has stuck around in Eugene instead of transferring elsewhere in search of a starting spot over the past couple of years. Uh, it's because he believes he can be the quarterback one next year when Bo Nix leaves. Uh, he believes that he can beat out Novosad and beat out uh, Luke Moga and Michael Van Buren and try and, you know, get that starting spot for for next year. And the, the year after that, that's what he's been waiting for. That's why he's stuck around in Eugene. So in the unfortunate event that Knicks would be unable to play this year, I think the Oregon fans should feel pretty confident that Ty can step in and, you know, at the very least keep that ship afloat. Um, I think that he's, you know, he's shown enough in the past to think that he, you know, at least has the skill set to, um, you know, to be a solid quarterback. We've heard a lot out of camp, uh, both in spring, spring ball and fall camp, that he's continuing to grow. He's continuing to process and kind of get better, get better decision making. Um, I need to see it for an extended amount of time on the field before I can, you know, say that I'm ready for him to be able to lead Oregon to a ton of success. But in the event that Nix goes down, yeah, I think that you could throw Thompson out there for a game or two, um, potentially three or four, and he could, you know, win some games. And to be honest, there is enough talent on this team that we don't need him to beat Bo Nix. You know, you just need Thompson in that situation to get the ball to the playmakers and let the defense do the rest. Um, I think that they, they could still be pretty successful. And none of this is to say anything about, about Austin Novosad either, the true freshman quarterback. He's gotten a ton of praise this fall um, for how quickly he's picking up he's picking up the offense and picking up schematically and kind of just learning on the job and growing into it. But um, to be honest, I don't really see a world where he gets onto the field at all this season because blowout situations. Um, if Nick's is healthy, then once Nick's comes out, you're going to get Ty and you're going to get some good learning experience for him. Um, I I don't really see it like a spring game where Novasad's going to get in after Ty. I think that they'll give the bulk of those blowout reps to, to Thompson and make sure that he feels good on the job and feels good in this offense. But, you know, Thompson has been waiting patiently and I think that he is the future at the position. So if in the case that Nick's has to miss extended time, I think that the tie is the man all the way. 
We got a really good question here from Eric. He asks, will this be the best Pac-12 season ever in its very last year? Um, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm I'm actually not going to answer it because it sparked a, a pretty good idea. I'm going to dive deeper into that question over the weekend and write an article about it next week on DucksWire. Um, I'm going to do all of the necessary research that I didn't have time for right now in preparing for this podcast. But I want to see, you know, if the Pac-12 or Pac-10 or Pac-8, I don't know how far back in the research I'm going to go, but if they've ever had this many teams ranked so prominently in the top 25 I mean, as it stands right now, if you look at the the AP preseason top 25 poll, uh, USC, I believe, is number six. You've got Washington at number 10, Utah 14, Oregon 15, and Oregon State 18. Um, and then there's uh, several other polls. Most college football analyst polls sometimes have UCLA in there as well. Um, they're getting some honorable mention votes. So, yes, in general, I think that this is shaping up to be the best Pac-12 season we've seen in recent memory. Uh, but again, I want to go back into the, the history books a little bit and see if the, you know, the rankings actually show that. And there's actually stats to back that up because, um, you know, it's going to be really, really talented, a really great conference, one of the best conferences in the nation this year. And that just kind of makes, you know, this is a separate conversation that just makes it uh, more of a shame that this conference is dying after the season because uh, we're going to get some fireworks this year. And I think that the conference is trending up based on where these teams are and where they're going in the future. So um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm curious to see the actual answer on that. Sorry for not answering your question, Eric, but I actually really want to want to dig into that and see if I can get a real answer. I got a few rapid fire questions from Sam. Uh, the first one, who was the most touted new guy? Um, you know, the newest transfer or recruit who's the, the most, most touted new guy on the roster. I think if you're talking about recruit, it has to be jury on Dickey. Um, he was the only five-star in the 2023 class for Oregon. He's the first five-star wide receiver that the Ducks have signed since Cameron Colvin um, back a couple of decades ago. Um, he Dickey is a, a massive six foot two, 210-pound receiver. Um, he's got a frame. He kind of looks like a young A.J. Brown for the Eagles now, formerly of the Titans. He's just kind of got that build. He's a really, really physical player. He's fast. Um, he's He's got great hands. He works hard. I've been hearing a lot of really good things for him out of camp. He wasn't here for spring football, but uh, he came in this summer. I think he came in in June and just hit the ground running. He's been working really hard, and we've been hearing a lot of really good things about him. So if you're talking about the most highly touted new guy that's a recruit, I think that Dickey has the most hype around him. There are other freshmen that have, you know, played really well this fall, played really well in the spring game. You got Mateo Uyunglele. I think he's going to have a big role this year. Cole Martin, another guy I think is going to have a big role in that secondary. Um, but if we're talking about most highly touted young guy, I think I'd have to say Jurion. If we're talking transfers, however, I think that the answer has to be Jordan Birch, the former five-star edge rusher from South Carolina. He had a really, really big year um, for the Gamecocks last year. He kind of broke out a little bit and then, decided to, to transfer out to Oregon and follow Dan Lanning, someone who recruited him when, when Lanning was at Georgia. Um, and he, he came out to the West Coast, and he's trying to, you know, a lot of people think he's going to be the next Kayvon Thibodeau-type rusher, type player on this defense. Um, the Ducks have struggled at, at pass rush the past couple of years. Even when Kayvon was here, they still, you know, were not as good as they could have been, I think. But... Um, you you have to trust Dan Lanning's system and trust Nala in the second year that he's got the players that he wants. 
and the players that he can he can fit into his scheme and and you know play his type of Georgia deep defense with. Uh, Jordan Burge is someone that he highlighted and someone that he you know handpicked out of the transfer portal got him here. So um, when Burge did come out of the portal, I think he was the number one rated transfer in the nation. So. Yeah, he is absolutely, you know, the guy to watch on this defense. If Oregon's going to have a successful defense, I think it starts and ends with Jordan Birch up front. Another one here from Sam. He asks, who was a sleeper that has turned heads at practice so far? Uh, that depends on what you consider a sleeper. If we're looking at players who you're very common fan or you're non-regional fans, you know, someone who's just kind of getting back into the waters of Oregon football and seeing the new depth chart, seeing what players to have players that don't people that don't know much about the roster i'd say it's probably wide receiver tez johnson uh he transferred from troy last year where he was the number two rated wide receiver in the nation according to pff only behind ohio state's marvin harrison jr which is you know that's that's some high praise to be that um that touted according to the stats and he he came over to oregon and he projects to be probably the starting slot receiver he's incredibly quick Obviously, if you watch the spring game, you saw exactly what he can do with the ball in his hands. So, yeah, I think that if there's there's fans that are really just trying to dive into the Oregon roster a little bit and catch up on what they missed, Tez Johnson's who you want to look at because he's going to be an electric player on offense. It's someone that when the ball gets in his hands, you better not blink or not turn away because he could end up in the end zone pretty quickly. A sleeper that even Oregon fans may not be paying attention to is linebacker Devin Jackson. He is a uh, Red shirts, red shirt freshman, um, someone that gained 20 plus pounds this offseason. Uh, he's among the fastest players on the team, according to, you know, a lot of the players. It's one of the things we've asked a lot of players this this offseason, who's the fastest guy on the team, because there are some really good candidates. And surprisingly, a lot of the players say Devin Jackson. He was included in Bruce Feldman's annual freaks list, um, if you know what that is. Or if you don't know what that is, Bruce Feldman, a notable college football reporter for The Athletic, every year he puts out a list of 101 players in college football that he determines, quote-unquote, freaks, which means you know they're physical anomalies. They're someone who's way too fast for how big they are, and it just doesn't really make sense that they're able to physically do what they can do and you know lift what they can lift. Devin Jackson was, I believe, number 13 on that list. I'm pulling that number off the top of my head, but... Um, I'm pretty sure he was pretty sure he was 13. He was, I know he was in the top 20, but you know, he's someone his size. I believe he's six two two twenty eight, something like that. Um, and you know, runs, a I think under four, four forty. Um, this guy is incredibly quick. He was a track star in high school and he's really physical too. So, um, he's someone I can't wait to see in Dan Lanning's scheme. He's someone that Lanning has, has coached up and Lanning is so good at coaching linebackers that, um, I think Devin Jackson is is going to have a really, really good future at Oregon and a really great career here. Um, I would peg him as a sleeper going into this year because he may not be a starting linebacker, but I think he's going to see a lot of the field and have quite a big impact. Just some honorable mentions for sleepers as well. These are guys that I think deserve a lot of recognition. Cornerback Nico Reed, who also might play you know, in the star nickel position. Uh, same with Cole Martin, a true freshman who will probably play at the nickel position. He had a great spring game. He's the the son of cornerbacks coach uh, Demetrius Martin, so he's someone who you know coaches kid really understands how to work and and how to be successful. 
And then a couple others that, you know, are, are familiar names for Oregon fans, but I think might surprise a lot of people for how good of seasons they have coming up. Defensive lineman Popo Amavai, he was hurt all last season, but a lot of the, you know, players and coaches have been talking a ton about him in fall camp, um, saying, you know, he is arguably our best defensive lineman, one of the best defensive linemen in the country when he's healthy. He's finally healthy and ready to play. And then the last one is running back Noah Whittington. Um, you know, Bucky Irving gets pretty much all of the shine in Oregon's backfield, and rightfully so. I mean, Bucky is an incredible player, but I'm I'm very encouraged by what I've seen from Noah Whittington so far and curious what we see from him this season. He's put on a lot of weight this offseason, and he, you know, when he stands next to Bucky, uh, he's notably bigger. And, you know, his he was in that split backfield with Bucky last year. They had that split backfield. Um, Noah was no slouch. He put up great numbers. I believe he had over 750 rushing yards, several touchdowns. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do this year because everyone's paying attention to Irving. And again, rightfully so. Irving is an incredible player. Noah is not an RB2 in this offense. He is an RB 1A, 1B, whatever you want to call them, but he's bulked up. He's gotten more physical, and he's going to be really hard to bring down. So um, I can't wait to see what we what we see from Whittington. Another question here, who is the fastest player on the team? I know I talked about this a little bit with Devin Jackson. It's been a, a popular topic of conversation this offseason. Um, it's kind of a cheap answer right now because the Ducks actually added Oregon track star Makai Williams to the roster as a walk-on back in fall camp. Um, if you're a, an Oregon fan who knows track and field, he runs a 9.91 meter dash. He was actually on the U.S. Olympic 4x100 team as an alternate uh, in the last Olympics. So this is a legit, you know, Olympic sprinter, um, Olympic track star. So yeah, if you're asking who's the fastest guy on Oregon's roster, it's definitely Micaiah Williams. He can leave everybody out there in the dust. Um, coming into camp, though, it was a different answer before we knew that Makai was on the team. Um, coming into camp, it was freshman cornerback Roderick Pleasant. Um, he holds the California state record in the 100-meter dash. Um, and, you know, I, I said with Devin Jackson, we asked a lot of players um, this this fall camp, you know, who is the fastest guy on the team? And I'd say probably 90% of people other than saying themselves, just because, you know, they're confident college football players. Um, a lot of them agreed that Roderick Pleasant was the guy to beat. And he's someone that uh, you line him up against anyone. He's probably going to leave him in the dust. So all of that said, you know, in comparison, um, if you were to take Makai's hundred meter dash speed and Pleasant's hundred meter time, you know, Pleasant runs a 10.13 and Makai runs 9.91. So uh, that's the difference we're talking about. I mean, if Pleasant was is the number two fastest guy on the field, uh, Makai is is leaving him by quite a ways too. So that's, that's your answer. All right, last one here. Um, do you see Oregon's play style slash recruiting efforts changing or molding to compete against the super run-heavy teams like Iowa or Wisconsin? Uh, in the Big Ten, I just ask because those have been the Achilles heel for Oregon in the past. I think this is a really important question to talk about, something that we haven't really talked about too much in the future, that Oregon is going to have to change their style a little bit or at least adapt to styles and be able to um, just to play different types of football. Dan was actually asked this question earlier this week, or I think it was last week. He was asked recently um, you know, about 
what type of styles they'd have to play. And he talked about how Oregon already faces some of that style, you know, that run-heavy style when playing teams like Stanford or playing teams like Utah. But, you know, you're right. It is a different game when you get up against some of these Big Ten teams. When you're going up against a Wisconsin, you're going up against an Iowa who's really not going to air the ball out, but they're going to try and run the ball down your throats. Um, I think that, honestly, you've already seen the Ducks starting to gear up for this move even before the Big Ten move was announced. Um, You look at Lanning's recruiting style over the past couple of years in Eugene. He's been beefing up that defensive line. He's been getting agile and fast linebackers that can cover in space, but also step up to fill running lanes. And he's been getting cornerbacks and safeties who are ready and willing tacklers. So I think the way that you've seen him recruit, um, you look at the size of the defensive line this year compared to what it was last year, compared to what it was two years ago. It's a notable difference. I mean, that defensive line has gained a ton of weight Um, this offseason. There's there's several 300-plus-pound guys there on that defensive line. Um, And then you see the the size of the guys they're bringing in. Your uh, Amari Washingtons, your Mikhail Gardners, your Johnny Bowens, players like that. They're really big and physical and, and someone who can probably... Um, you know, try and stop some of these these physical running games. So um, it may be a bit of a culture shock at first. You know, when when Oregon goes up against these Big Ten schools, the run heavy schools in their environment, and you you may get slapped in the face a little bit at first. But I think that Oregon's size on the defensive line will be a big factor uh, down the road, and it should help them adapt to that type of play style. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Again, thank you for tuning in and following along. And thank you, more importantly, for uh, all the people who submitted questions for the mailbag. Um, I like going through those. It's a fun way to to wrap up uh, fall camp and kind of see what you guys are thinking about, too, and, and what you're uh, considering going into the into the season. Next week is finally what we've all been waiting for. We get week one. Um, we have a couple of awesome guests lined up to get us kicked off in style. Um, So look out for those next week and then Oregon's game against Portland state on Saturday. Again, as the season gets here, I will be transitioning to a two pod per week uh, schedule. I'll probably do a a breakdown of the game previously and then a preview of the upcoming game. So um, that's, that's what we can expect going forward. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com or follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. We will talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy.